0: In today's episode, we open our Bibles to Hosea's Prophecy, chapters 6 and 7. A beautiful confession by the Israelites is exposed by God as merely superficial. They think the judgment is minor. They think that by outward confession and sacrifice, they'll be spared. But God explains that He is looking for steadfast love, not sacrifice. Faithfulness, not lip service. Good morning and blessed Lenten tide. Today is Monday, March 13th and you're listening to Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Check out lhfmissions.org to learn about how they can help congregations and missionaries spread the good news through Lutheran materials rooted in foreign languages. They also help out with mission speakers, if that's what you're looking for. Again, visit them online at lhfmissions.org. Well, my guest this morning, as we continue to hear God's judgment against His people in Hosea, chapter 6 and 7, is the Reverend Luke Brown, a pastor in Ellsworth, Kansas, Pastor Brown, welcome to the program. It just escaped me. Your congregation's name. What what church are you at there in Ellsworth? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. E- Emmanuel. Well, good morning. Welcome. How is God working through you and the saints there at Emmanuel?
1: Well, it's it's uh, it's neat. It's a uh, it's a small town in the middle of Kansas. Uh, it's uh, you know a traditional congregation. We have some neat things going on. Uh, some things that I have really enjoyed. Uh, but it's uh You know, pretty much a regular congregation.
0: Well, isn't that nice sometimes, right? Just you're with regular folk, you're with God's people. I think sometimes people, when we come out of seminary, and you and I went to seminary together, that's sort of a a, a little uh, factoid (laughs) for the people out there. But we, uh, you wonder where you're going to go, what's life going to be like, what's your ministry going to be like? And nine times out of ten... You are God's person in a little part of his kingdom, in a, in a place that's just ordinary, dealing with ordinary people, and what a blessing that ministry can be. You know, it's not high profile. Neither you nor me are ever going to be seen as celebrity pastors, but by gosh, we, we certainly do what the Lord wants us to do in the place that he put us. So yeah, my first call was in a little cornfield in Minnesota, so I know how that is. Um, now, this is not your first call, though. You, you had another congregation, or is this your first call?
1: No, this is my first. No, this is my second call. My first call was Aliceville, Kansas, and it was, um, you know, you, you had cornfields, wheat fields across the street, uh, very small, rustic uh, community. Uh, I was there for eight and a half years. That was a remote, rural congregation, and Ellsworth is more a small-town congregation, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now in Laverne with the with a small town, and it's very enjoyable. I really like it here, and I know that they should be blessed to have you as a pastor. As I mentioned, you and I were in seminary together. We started in, and I distinctly remember, brother, um, all of our time uh-huh. together in summer Greek with Doctor Velts, because you and I sat in the front row right yeah. next to each other, and it's uh-huh. not it's not because we were. Uh, <laughs> Just such eager students, but it's because both of our last names ended in B, so we ended up yeah. being stuck in the front row. Yeah, um, I
1: remember June of two thousand and six. That's right. That's June right. June sixteenth, two thousand and six—a date that we'll live in. Today. And I, you know, here I am. I was in my uh, uh, what? Uh, I think I was almost almost fifty, and uh, I was. Uh, in this room filled with guys that were my just about my daughter's age, and there were a lot of really sharp guys in there, and there and and there was a dummy in there, and he he looked a lot like me. <laughs> I was sitting in the front row, just in in summer Greek, and it was 150 degrees outside, and I had this crazy guy in front of us waving his arms and trying to teach teach me oh, some teach I tell me you. Greek and. And, oh, good, You know, the, the first two weeks it was, you know, I, I can be in my van and I can be heading west and we can call this my vacation. and uh, <laughs> Let's just be done I with it. I can just go back and, and uh, go back to Hoysington and uh, call it a massive public failure and I'll just die. <laughs> oh. Well, I'm glad <laughs> it didn't. I didn't. I made it through and uh, I think I still owe you or, or Mark a, a red pen because you graded my... My Greek assignments, and I'm sure you new step a again Well, I tell you, one I,
0: well, I will say that I think I was in the same boat as you, and you know what? A lot of those guys were in the same boat as us. You know, when you start summer Greek, it doesn't matter how faithful you are, how good of a Lutheran or Christian you are. When you start learning all those, uh, you know, all the the Greek words and vocab and the declensions, and you start thinking, you know, maybe. Maybe there's some other religions, right? Maybe they, should, maybe they should write the Bible in English. That would be helpful. Um, but we both got through it. That's all that matters. And here the Lord's using even us, which is great. Um, brother, well, it, was, our, it was certainly humbling. <laughs> well, our text for today is going to be Hosea 6 through 7, as I've already mentioned. And, well, we don't have to use any Greek today. We get to use some Hebrew if we choose to. Well, but,
1: I, I never learned any <laughs> Hebrew, so I'm going to defer to you. Well, I was text just hum- going to
0: say, but don't worry. We usually don't on thy strong word. We usually just stick to the English, and maybe if it's really important, we'll bring some Hebrew <laughs> or Greek in. Um, I, I will say I remember... One of our seminary classes, I don't know if it was one we had together, but one of the professors said, uh, make sure you always use a little Greek, Hebrew, and Latin when you're teaching Bible study to remind them why they pay you. <laughs> now,
1: <Yeah. laughs> now, I don't know if that's good advice. Right, but, I don't know no, if that's no, good, no, good advice run. or not. <laughs> but we will, uh,
0: we will be the professionals that we are. We'll get through it. But um, brother, uh, before we dive into the text, though, would you start our time together in prayer?
1: You better. Gracious Lord, we give you thanks for the blessings that you've given us. Lord, in the, in the midst of a world that has largely turned pagan and has turned its face against you, you still call out. You call your people to repentance. You call the world to repentance and to, to sacrifice a, a clean heart, a loving heart to you. We ask you, Lord, that message that you uh, gave to Hosea to declare to his people It's the same message you give to us through Hosea to declare to to the people in our world today. We ask to be with us. We ask this in Jesus'
0: name. Amen. Amen. Well, so far we've read through Hosea, and Hosea is this fascinating chapter. I think if—well, the one thing that sets it apart has been been very clear so far is the fact that Hosea was called to marry what the Scriptures say, quote, a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. And it's, yeah. it's such an uncomfortable phrase to use on the air, makes us blush a little bit. But, but what, what we're seeing here is that Hosea has been called to experience firsthand the infidelity that God experiences as he looks at his children Israel. And so through the first few chapters already, he's kind of gotten now into, well, this is exactly what's going on. This is my indictment. And in now the chapters we're going to look at today— it emphasizes Israel's sin and injustice injustice pardon me but more importantly its failure to truly repent to really acknowledge their guilt and to seek God for help and and that and that's what we see we see here these beautiful words of confession as we will read here in just a moment but but God reveals them to be uh, pretty, pretty shallow. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 3, and then we'll, we'll look into them. Here we go. Oh. Quote, Come, let us return to Yahweh, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know Yahweh. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Well, brother, on first read, it sounds very nice. Sounds like a confession that any of us would be proud to say, and maybe we should be willing to say this. Uh, We'll get into God's opinion of it in a minute, but let's just start at the beginning. Someone is speaking here. It's a quote so I don't know if it's the prophet or he's quoting what the people are saying, but they begin, come, let us return to Yahweh. Take us from there, brother. What do you think?
1: Well, I think you, know, you said it was. Uh, it does sound like a sincere you know, uh, repentance to me. Uh, he has torn us. Uh, he will revive us. The third day he will raise us up. A lot of neat things happen after three days in the Bible. Right. And I don't know if that's... Uh, you can think of the resurrection there. Uh, let us know. Oh. Let us press on to know the Lord. Uh, you know, it, it sounds, you know, to me it sounds like they're saying right words. Right. They do
0: say right words, and these and, and God wants us to be able to confess in this way. The whole point so far in this text is that they return to the Lord. In fact, I, didn't we have a Lenten... Uh, it was a Lenten theme come down from CPH not too many years ago called "Return to the Lord," uh, and no. and that's what we are to do. And I think in the second, in the first verse, rather, he says, "For he has torn us that he may heal us." Okay. You would definitely get the idea that they recognize that the the, the judgment that they're experiencing is indeed from God. Um. And that he is the one that has his hand behind the so-called bad things that are going to or are happening. Um, I just think about us today. So often we want to let God off the hook for the bad things that happen. And, and while, I, while I think you'll agree, we, we can't go so far as to say this event or that event is God's judgment. I think sometimes we forget that God is in control and that when bad things happen, they are to remind us to return to the Lord especially during Lent. Uh, what do you think about that?
1: And, you know, God's proper work is to heal and forgive, but sometimes we are punished. But that's not what not God wants to do. He wants to heal us. He wants to forgive us. Right. Uh, and that's the, the object is to drive us you know, maybe closer to Him and to realize our uh, you know, helpless and dependent condition and, and, uh, and draw closer to Him.
0: And then, as you pointed out, it says, after two days he'll revive us, and on the third day he'll raise us up. I mean, on the one hand, I think people, when they are in this context, when they're encountering the judgment from God, I think they're just sort of passing it off as saying, well, it won't last too long. right? God, God, God will turn around. He'll, he'll be okay mm-hmm. in a few days. Uh, but then you also rightly point out that a lot of important things happen— on the third day in Scripture, um, you mention, of course, Jesus. But we could even go back. Um, you know, Jesus performed his first miracle at the wedding in Cana on the third day. Yeah. Jo- Jonah in the belly of the great fish. Um, Three days. Yeah. So, so we we see this a lot. Um, even on the third day, uh, the Israelites were to consecrate themselves up on up on Mount Sinai. Uh, and then Abraham's sacrifice he traveled for 3 days before so there's lots of this kind of language so i wonder if the israelites are drawing on this 3 day language to basically kind of say oh god will get over it he'll be fine we'll he'll raise he's only torn us so that he can heal us he'll he'll right he'll raise us up so while i think it on the one hand is a good confession on the other hand i think it might betray their insincerity what do you think
1: and 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 the his forgiveness is, you know, just taken for granted. I think uh, we can do whatever we want to do, and we may suffer for a short time. But he's gonna—he's an old softy. He's not gonna let us uh, suffer for long.
0: Yeah, so help, help. we just
1: uh, suffer here for a little bit. and Things will be okay.
0: How often do we think like that, too? You know, we.
1: Well, I know I've thought like that. <laughs> sure. Sometimes I said, okay, Lord, I've gotten the message. You can stop now. And then I, he says, well, I don't, I don't think you have probably got the message. That's true. That's true.
0: <laughs> I, you know, I, and now I'm absolutely not comparing myself to the Lord's judgment, but I have to right. give myself— um, give my son, rather, a little bit of a story on the air. He doesn't listen, so it'll be fine. But he got <laughs> he got in trouble the other day, and he got Xbox taken away for completely, completely coincidentally, three days. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was very, very, very uh, <laughs> coincidental. So don't don't mismistake me here. But anyway, already on the first day, after he had done what he had done, he come home and he apologized. He said he apologized to his mom. He was being disrespectful, and he apologized. And then he kind of picks up the controller, like, okay, I've apologized, so now I get to, uh, I, I get to play Xbox again. It's like, no, no, yeah, sure. you know, you are forgiven, and we use that kind of language, but there are still temporal consequences. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the second day, so he's fine, you know. So the second day he comes and he's like, oh, can I, can I have it back early? I've already learned my lesson, and it's like, no, because while I do believe you learned your lesson, if I let you have it back early. The le- the next lesson you'll learn is that, well, whenever I get in trouble, I can just apologize, and then it'll be fine. So today, for what it's worth, folks at home, if you're rooting for him, is on the third day when he gets it back. So... <laughs> <laughs>
1: it wasn't seven days no that's right that's right (laughs) or 40 there are many biblical numbers we could go with
0: i'll tell about next time it's seven next time it'll be 40 and then it'll be uh (laughs) 70 times seven if he's not careful
1: Seventy times seven
0: (laughs) but i but isn't that how we treat god like we're we're children and we think okay god i know that i've sinned against you but i'm sorry and maybe we really are but then we think okay so now there shouldn't be any consequences and while, of course, Christ's blood saves us from eternal consequence, there's also a reality that we, we, can, we can treat how our sin against God is nothing, um, or like it's nothing, if we're not careful. This is why I think Hosea was made to marry someone who would really, literally break his heart, so that we could know that when we sin against God, it's not as though God's just up there, this bookkeeper keeping track, and he doesn't really care. He just wants to make sure that you have enough uh, you know, good in your good column and not enough bad in your bad column. No, he, he is genuinely hurt by our infidelity to him. At least that's how I see it. Do you see it that way or some other way?
1: You no. Know, and you know, we, we say, I'm sorry. We're forgiven. And then how quickly do we go back and do the same thing? Right. And then we say, Oh, I'm sorry. And then we go back and do the same thing. And uh, you know, well, reading be very happy. reading in the text,
0: the, the prophet here, Hosea, reveals, and these are the words of God, so he's revealing that God knows that this confession is extremely <laughs> shallow. Yeah. And, and that's why if you just read verses 1 through 3, you think, oh, sounds good to me, and it, and it does sound good. And it is good if you mean it, but, well, it looks like they might not mean it. I'm going to read verses 4, 5, and 6. Yahweh says... What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God, rather than burnt offerings." So he basically says, "You know what? Your love for me is fickle, right? It's like the dew on the grass. The sun just burns it right up."
1: I think it's interesting. There in verse three, uh, the the people t- uh, say that God is going to His forgiveness is automatic, uh, dependable as the showers and the spring rains. And then in verse four, God says their love. And in verse three, that's you know very dependable. It's, you can count on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, rain will come unless you're in Ellsworth, Kansas. In <laughs> uh, verse four, uh, their love is very transient, very fragile; uh, uh, goes away uh, quickly. It's uh, very fleeting love. Uh, he knows he knows their heart, and this is I, I think Ephraim is the northern kingdom, and Judah is the the southern kingdoms. This mm-hmm. is the, all of the Israelites. Uh, but they're both equally uh, equally at fault. Yeah, he really does
0: put them in their place. it's It's not quite like a job moment where he says, "Where were you and I created the foundations of the earth. but he but but it's like when you say that I will, you know, relent as sure as the showers, well, let me tell you something. You're also kind of like a wev- weather phenomenon. You know, you're like the morning clouds and the dew, and and it's going to just evaporate away. And, you know, here's the good news, right, because we know the end of the story. We actually, if we've read Hosea, we kind of know that there is redemption coming, and certainly through Christ there's redemption, redemption coming. But if we can you know, set that aside and look at it in the moment, you know, the people, I think, do themselves a disservice if they just treat God as sort of a spiritual vending machine. It's like, yeah, we can we can cross him, but oh gosh, he's such a pushover. He's easy to easy to get back on your side, and I believe that that's the way the unbelievers see Christianity, and one of the reasons why they think that we're so hypocritical. It's like that um, that joke I've used it before on the air, but of the kid who prays for a bicycle and never gets one, so he decides to steal one and ask for forgiveness instead. You know, it's it's like. You know, all those Christians—they're just all lip service, and you know they, they act one way on Sunday, but a different way on Monday. And I, so, I think we see ourselves here.
1: Yeah, I think there's ample evidence for that, and I don't have to go very far to see it. Well, I can sit true. right in my own chair and see that.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, right. but then, of course, there's this beautiful words. Verse six is extremely fam- famous. And he says, I desire steadfast love. Um, That word could also be mercy. Well, I should say in the Septuagint, in the Greek, it would have been mercy. So I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. One thing that's always, I guess, I don't know, troubled me. Maybe that's too strong of a word, but it's always made me curious is that God himself is the one who established the sacrificial system but then repeatedly he chastises people for using the sacrificial system in a way that's just transactional like okay i've done my duty so now i'm forgiven it's it's as if and i think this might be true god gave us the sacrificial system to point to something greater to be to represent something greater than just the transaction but we're we're pretty fickle about it uh, how do you see that when he says you know, I, I don't want sacrifice. I don't want birth offerings. I want steadfast love and knowledge. But the fact that he's the one who gave the sacrifice, how do you see that or rec- to reconcile that?
1: He, uh, people go, he does want people to go through the motions. I've always talk to, you, know, you talk to people who are you – know, you can use this for a, a wedding, a marriage type of a thing. Is it a gospel-based marriage or a law-based marriage? And you go into the marriage with a contract, and you say, this is what I expect. I expect dinner on these nights, and this is what I expect for these dinners, and I will uh, give you a gift on this, and it will be for this amount, and this amount, and this amount, and these are my exact expectations, and I give you a gift because it is Valentine's Day or it is your birthday, and I'm obligated to give you a gift. (laughs) Uh, Or is it a gospel-based? I was just thinking about you and I like this, and I wanted to give it to you." Which is, which is better? You know, if you go in with a law-based marriage, that's, uh, you know, that's not gonna be very joyful. But uh, a gospel-based marriage, where you're looking out for the good of the other, uh, you know, I think that is, I think that's much more <laughs> desirable. I hope that uh, people i talk to see it that way. Uh, but yeah, God wants our heart. Doesn't want just going through the motions. It is Sunday. I will obligate. God, I will give you ten to eleven o'clock. <laughs> now, if Pastor goes long and it's eleven o five, then I'm going to get a little antsy, and I'm going to give you ten to eleven. Yeah, uh, once, uh, once a week, once every two weeks, once a month, once every couple of months, whenever I get around to it.
0: <laughs> so that would, yeah. I mean, first of all, your illustration of the marriage makes perfect sense to me and it's a very apropos because we have here God using that illustration of a relationship and marriage to point to his relationship and so you wouldn't you wouldn't do that to your spouse so why do it to God and I see that though I I had a <laughs> I had once a, a person who didn't come to wor- uh, worship very often it wasn't at my current congregation and I um never saw them they were on the books you know we have a lot of those But whenever the pastor would go visit them, just to visit and encourage them, they would always just write a check. Well, here's $300 for my donation, for my contribution Mm -hmm. or my offering. Yeah, membership fee. Yeah, and I remember saying, we'd rather have you than your money. You know, basically, in his mind, by my amateur psychology, he was basically buying his way out of having to actually participate in the life of the church. God doesn't want your money. And for him, it wasn't much of a sacrifice. God wants you; He wants you to be there. Um, so while they certainly had to do sacrifices and burnt offerings because they were based on God's law, they were to be done with, I suppose, the spirit of that law rather than just according to the letter.
1: My confirmation kids, I say, okay. Well, when you're when you're dating, uh, you know, a um, boy or a girl, and hopefully it's the right one, uh, mm-hmm. you know. You can say, oh, baby, baby, I love you with all my heart. You're number one in my life. Now, leave me alone. I don't really want to see you. I don't <laughs> have anything to do with you. But if I need something, I'll let you know.
0: Right. That's a how's horrible that relationship. Work?
1: Yeah. I say, yeah, how's that going to work? I don't recommend this. But how do you think God feels? Yeah. Hey, God, you're number one in my life. I love you with all my heart. And, uh, leave me alone. I don't really want to hear from you or see you or have anything to do with you. Uh, but if I need something, I'll let you know.
0: Well, that's exactly what's going on here in Israel at this time and what still goes on today. I'm going to read verses 7 through 10 to add them to the conversation as we approach the break. He says, But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers tracked with blood. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. If Rahim's whoredom is there, Israel is defiled. Uh, for you also, O Judah, a harvest is appointed. And we'll end there for, before the break, uh, and we'll come back and catch up the rest later, but for just for the, the next few moments that we have. So he points back to Adam, and don't I don't know, how do you see Adam here? He... Is it Adam's failure to keep, I guess Yahweh's single command? Is it just talking about mankind from eternity? Um, do you have an
1: opinion? What do you think? Well, I wasn't sure if they were talking about Adam as Adam and Eve or Adam as a city, if that was a city, because they also talk about Adam, uh, and they talk about there, not he, built faithfully with faithlessly with me. Uh, they talk about Gilead, then they talk about Shechem. So I didn't know if Adam was a city, mm. and I don't know, you know, where that city is. Uh, you know, if it's Adam and Eve, you know, Adam you certainly did transgress, you know, the covenant. But he, you know, he, you know, he eagerly, immediately did it. Uh, but you have Adam, and you have Gilead, and you have Shechem, and they've all done things.
0: Well, that makes a lot of sense to be to be, I guess, consistent uh, grammatically. Adam does sound like uh, there is a city. Um, Just looking quick at my notes, apparently there is a city of, uh, a couple cities of Adam, uh, one Mm -hmm. in the territory of Naphtali, which is mentioned in Joshua. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. also mentioned in 1 Kings, and there's a city in the Jordan Valley near the Jordan River. Um, And uh, so, yeah, there's a couple different places. So, yeah, it makes sense. It's one of those things, though, that I think the point is made, even if we're a little unclear on exactly what Adam's referring to, but since you mentioned the fact that well he mentions a couple other cities, uh, yeah, it makes sense to me that Adam might be very much a, a city that he's mentioning.
1: But either you know, way, he he's talks,
0: giving these examples. Go ahead, sorry, brother.
1: Well, he talks about you know the robbers and the priests band together. They murder, uh, they commit villainy. And I remember when uh, you know Jesus is is in the temple and he clears the temple. He says, you know, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of thieves. You've made it a hideout for robbers. And people go someplace for help and they end up getting beaten up and and they're worse, you know, you, you know, worse than having gone there. Now you go to get help and you get abused and mistreated. And that's exactly the opposite of what you should expect. And it's, it's doubly horrible.
0: Right. It's you you we we just got done going through the pastoral epistles before we took up Hosea, as we did first and second Timothy and Titus. And one of the things it talks about, servants and leaders in the church in the New Testament anyway, and this was certainly applicable to other leaders of God's people, is that you are to be above reproach. Not, not that we expect them to be completely sinless, that's impossible, but above reproach is that, as you said, you expect that you're not going to be taken advantage of. And yet here, they're so corrupt that even the people who you thought you could always go to for help could also um, uh, abuse you. And and you know, I think of growing up and being told things like, you know, well, if you're ever in trouble, always, you know, find somebody in uniform. And yeah. that's um and but then think about going to that person in uniform and then them of course being the bad guy. That just shows how horrible it is.
1: Well, that's you know that's what it is it's in some places, you know, people are, you know, they've they've had bad experiences with people in authority. And so, or they know people who have had, or there's a tradition of, you know, this stuff happening. And so they're reluctant to go to, uh, uh, to somebody in authority because they think they're going to be abused. Right. I remember Steve Martin in one of his movies, he says, I have a dream. It's only a small dream, but it's always been my dream that if in case of a fire, going to a fire department would be a good thing to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what movie is that? Do you recall? That's Roseanne. Oh, Roseanne. Yes. Love it. I love uh, Steve Roxanne, Martin. Roxanne. 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 Yeah. Uh, I love Steve Martin. I love Steve <laughs> Martin. Well, I tell you what, this is a good point for us to take a break. So, folks, don't go anywhere. When we return, uh, Pastor Brown and I will keep on going now with Hosea chapter 7. We'll see you on the other side. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. And with me today is the Reverend Luke Brown, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Ellsworth, Kansas. Dear listeners, I pray that God is blessing you through our study of His Word both today and every day. If you have any thoughts or questions or feedback, you know I'd love to hear it. Send me an email at pastorboo at gmail.com. I always write back. Or you can find me on Facebook. Send me a message there. Also, I want to take a minute to talk about how you can catch some more episodes. Maybe you've missed a few. I mean, you know you can tune in on the radio if you're in the St. Louis area. You can listen on demand at KFUO.org. But we know you're busy. KFUO has made it even easier to make sure you never miss a minute of the program. You can download the KFUO app uh, on your Play or uh, App Store. You can also subscribe to Thy Strong Word on your favorite podcasting platform. Either way, I'm just grateful you're here. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing, share the program with your friends and family. Well, Pastor Brown, before the break, we were, uh, well, actually, I think we devolved a little bit into talking about Steve Martin, which is fair. (laughs) Now we're moving into chapter seven. And as I always like to remind people, the chapters and the verses aren't inspired. So really, this is right in the middle of the thought. Um, So we have basically chapter six, verse 11, the second half begins this next section. And this one's a little on the long side, but I'm going to read it. So it's going to be reading all the way through 7, verse 7. Here we go. When when I restore the fortunes of my people, when I would heal Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim is revealed, and the evil deeds of Samaria. For they deal falsely, the thief breaks in, and the bandits raid outside. They do not consider that I remember all their evil. Now their deeds surround them, and they are before my face." By their evil they make the king glad, and the princes by their treachery. They are all adulterers. They are like a heated oven whose baker ceases to stir the fire, from the kneading of the dough until it's unleavened. On the day of our king the princes became sick with the heat of wine. He stretched out his hand with mockers. For with hearts like an oven they approach their intrigue. All night their anger smolders. In the morning it blazes like a flaming fire. All of them are as hot as an oven, and they devour their rulers. All their kings have fallen, and none of them calls on me. All right, so the thought's not quite over, but that that's going to end us for right now with verse seven. Um, some pretty it begins here with uh, when I restore the fortunes of my people. Uh, there's some hope in this text, but then it kind of devolves pretty quick into all the horrible things they're doing. The well, their heart is, is
1: revealed, you know, that he would like to restore them, he would like to, to heal them, but their heart, their inequity, their evil deeds uh, is all revealed, and they think that you know, he's, it, it's all going to be remembered.
0: So when the judgment comes or when the judgment's threatened, everyone wants to go and, I guess, say, oh, I'm going to be saved. But what ends up happening instead is all their d- evil deeds surround them, as it says.
1: They're mm-hmm. yeah,
0: before my face. It says in verse 5, on the day of our king, I guess another way to read that is going to be on like the on coronation day. Um, the princes became sick with the heat of wine. He stretched out his hand with mockers. So he's been talking about corrupt priests and corrupt worshipers and how they're supporting each other's sins. And now he brings in the fact that, well, there are corrupt kings and corrupt subjects and they're enabling each other. Um, and yet in the end, they're going to devour
1: one another. Totally corrupt culture, uh, totally corrupt. Uh, Uh, environment that is was not you know think about uh, god at all is totally self-centered and is totally focused on their own pleasure luckily all this happened several thousand years ago and applies nothing to today (laughs) oh you stole my line because that's exactly what i was
0: going to say because (laughs) don't don't we see that though don't we see that today and and it brings two things to my mind pastor on the one hand it reminds us that nothing's new under the sun. So perhaps there's a little comfort in that. <laughs> on the other hand, it reminds us that, well, it doesn't seem to have gotten any better. And I do think it ebbs and flows in terms of in society. I mean, at one point, Christians are kind of on top. At another point, Christians are being fed to the lions. In the in uh, in the in the Americas, you know, here in the United States, in the 50s, Christians were in pretty good spot. And now, of course, Christians are are the butt of people's jokes. So we do see it on a microcosm level ebbing and flowing, and so people do, as they experience it, sometimes feel more persecuted uh, at one time than another. Um, you're just a smidge older than me, but do you feel like in your lifetime you've seen the position of Christians and its value to society you know, go down? Do you see this as maybe not quite persecution, but certainly we aren't on top anymore?
1: Yeah, you, you certainly see a world that uh, is, you know, is certainly downward, uh, in a downward spiral. It's a world that you know continues to turn its face on God. It says, "God, we don't want anything. You know, we'll decide what is good." You know, he has destroyed. You know, it attacked the family for how many years, and so you know, uh, there is no, uh, you know, there is no foundation. Uh, and then we wonder why everybody goes their own way, and and what is good, it becomes I am God, and I decide what is good, and what is good is that I have what I want, and I feel good all the time, and suffering has no place if suffering must be destroyed uh and so what is what is good is that i I have what I want 100%. and and then we wonder why the world uh why there are riots? Why there are crimes? Why there is hatred? Why there is murder and and attacking? Uh, just all of these bad things happening. Well, that's what did you expect was going to happen?
0: <laughs> well, absolutely, and that's what's happening here. And then even people who are Christians might look and act like the Israelites here and say, "Well, things are bad, but remember when they were so good? Remember things were great? That we'll get there again. God will bless us again." And really, there is no promise of that. But I do have to say, so what do we do as pastors, as a church, as little congregations in the middle of small towns like you and I are in? um, How do we respond? What possibly can we do to help influence the culture toward Christ? Or is it a lost cause? How do we look at it? How would you look at it?
1: You know, we teach. We teach our people. uh, We have... We have a voice that, you know, the world has a voice, There, the story need is, is told, but we have a story. And we can tell our story. We have every right to tell our story. Uh, and it is a story that people will mock, will criticize. Uh, you know, so far, you know, I haven't experienced any uh, physical persecution. I don't really expect to, but you know, we're afraid that people are going to cross, you know, look at us funny, or they're going to call us something on, on Facebook, Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, teaching our people and telling our story and doing patiently, uh, doing it, you know, we don't need to get angry. We just need to, you know, quietly tell our story and talk about Jesus. And I, I think, you know, the, the picture uh, that we give, you know, so many times people know the church only by what we're against. And uh, people look at the church and they, you know, they think of a bunch of old, overweight men and women dressed in suits and pearls and shaking their finger at you and telling you that you are, that you are a damn sinner. Uh, but, you know, the church I've always told my my confirmands is about forgiveness and it's about hope and it's about restoration. It's about life. Uh, you know, so that's what I would like people to know the church as a place of hope and life, rather than uh, condemnation.
0: Well, I think that makes sense, and, and of course, and I know you you certainly believe this. Our story, the story we tell has power though right because it's God's story so God works through the message that we tell and and yes of course we're going to be the subject of mockery but when we tell the story the Holy Spirit will according to his own will use that story uh, and so I think that's important too and I, and I like what you said too about how we're so often known for what we're against, which let's I mean I don't think you would disagree that we sometimes have to stand up for things that are wrong but mm-hmm. but what it shouldn't keep us from proclaiming, the 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 wonderful good good gospel news that that you know we're saved through Christ and so it doesn't always have to be just such a such a negative uh I guess view that we give people of ourselves. So then we have here we have um on the day of the king, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera, for their hearts like an oven they approach their intrigue. All night their anger smolders in the morning it blazes like a flaming fire. All of them are as hot as an oven and they devour their rulers, then their kings have fallen, and none of them calls upon me. Um, and I don't want to read too much into it, but it just reminds me of the perpetually outraged that we see today in our culture. And, and un- honestly, this is found outside of Christian groups, but also well within Christian groups. Well, people are just constantly angry about things and they devour one another, uh, even their own leaders, because once you become Pharisaic about things, and you put your faith hope and trust in the princes of this world whether they're whether they're actual princes or actual political leaders or whether they're just people you're following and and then they fall away then you start saying well they they were horrible anyway you know without giving specific examples i just see all the time people being always offended by everything that can't be healthy and it seems like that's a little bit what he's talking about
1: i've been around the block a time or two and it seems like what we tend to do is either idolize or demonize our leaders. And so they're completely perfect or they're completely evil. And you know, they're probably gonna be someplace in the middle. They're they're not perfect, but they're not completely evil. Uh you know and, and, and uh, you know, somebody was elected and I said, Well, my life's not perfect yet. What's the deal? What's the matter with you? <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Well, let's keep reading because then... Well, I, like, I
1: like this thing. You know, he talks about okay. uh, like the oven. The, the heart's like an oven. Uh, their anger smolders. Uh, and then in the morning, it blazes back up like a flaming fire. Uh, so, you, you know, you have like a campfire and, and it's going. And then at night, it, it dies down. You have the, the coals. And then in the morning, you can, it stirs back up and you have more flames. And, uh, you know, these things never go away. Uh, lust never goes away uh the thirst for power and and greed and uh adultery and this kind of stuff it never goes away it may quiet down but then sin it just bursts back up uh without without warning many times i can see and, that. and it's all always destructive
0: well, it's that destructiveness that is just something that we forget. Don't we seem to forget? Like we we forget it's like a teenager. They say, Well, you know, they're not really uh they're not capable of thinking about the con- consequences of their actions. And then I think, yeah, that's sort of society as a whole, it seems, you know. We just we forget so quickly um what our what our anger and our perpetual outrage and the way that we go against each other will will will, will result in. And you know what? And it's described even better as we keep reading verses 11, 12, and 13. I'll just add them because then God says, (laughs) Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense, calling to Egypt, going to Assyria. As they go, I will spread over them my net. I will bring them down like birds of the heavens. I will discipline them according to the report made to their congregation. Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction to them, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. So it goes from humorous to pretty deep, pretty fast. But yeah, he describes uh, Israel, Ephraim in this case, as like this, I I can picture like a little pigeon or a dove just going every different direction and really doesn't make any sense of what they're doing. I mean, they probably know, but
1: we don't. (laughs) They don't make any headway and they're, they're just going back and forth. They don't make any headway. There's no growth. There's no change. I just keep going back and forth, and there's no, no help. They're they're going to Egypt. They're going to Assyria. There's no, yeah. there's no forward progress.
0: So he says. Then he'll cast his net over them. I guess that's probably how you would hunt birds, if I'm not mistaken, right? You throw a big net over them. Um, you, he hears them flocking together, so he disciplines them. Um, so we see some some. I guess calls here when he says he's called. They're calling to Egypt, and they're going to Assyria. Uh, what's he What's he talking about there?
1: Assyria was a a threat. Assyria as wanted to take them over. As I think Assyria would uh, take them take over the northern kingdom and and take them into exile and destroy them. Uh, that's you know self destructive. But many times we look for help uh, from problems uh, yeah. in. Things of this world, things that may be not in our best interests and and self, ultimately self-destructive, and they were told not to go back to Egypt, and here they are going back to Egypt, and you are not supposed to go to Assyria. Assyria is a is a threat, it's a danger.
0: This reminds us of uh, Hosea chapter five verse thirteen, where it's written, "When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound." Then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king, but he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. It's, it's, it's almost as if, you know, all you have to do is return to the Lord, and yet all you seem to do is chase after who you think is going to be powerful or in control or solutions that are on earth when it's really simple. Just return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. Keep your word. Be steadfast in your love toward the Lord. And uh, you're right, it is self destructive. It's basically they would rather go to their enemies who would threaten to and would eventually exile them, but not to the Lord. That, that's pretty
1: silly, isn't it? So many times, you know, we, we look at, at what we know, we look at what we see, uh, physical things, rather than, you know, praying and f- focusing on mm-hmm. God.
0: Yeah, we do that so much. I mean, people often will come into the office and and or encounter me, and they'll say, you know, well, I, I just want to be closer to God. I want to be closer to God. How can I have a closer relationship to God? It's like, oh, okay, well... I, you know, first of all, being His Word, I'd love to see in Bible study. Um, you know, worship's important, and well, I mean, yeah. you know, is there anything?
1: <laughs> Something else I can do? Yeah, yeah, I that's all great. Actually, do anything?
0: Yeah, anything else <laughs> that I could do? And and I imagine
1: Something easy, like right now.
0: <laughs> right, and I imagine physicians get the same thing because I sometimes, you know, I I carry a little weight, you know, and I my back's okay. sore and. I want to go into the doctor's office and say, could you just give me something to make me feel better? And he's like, well, you know, how about you lose a little weight and get a little healthier and you'll probably feel better. It's
1: like, mm, does well, that... I, mean, I, know, I mean, right now.
0: Yeah. You got a pill for that or an injection?
1: Yeah, <laughs> it have to be a pill. I can.
0: I got good insurance. so oh. I'll
1: take it while I go to Golden Corral. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's right but but he says then very seriously he says woe to them for they have strayed from me destruction to them for they have rebelled against me and this is a pretty scary words here he says i would redeem them but they speak lies against me um we fast forwarding to hosea 13 he he will say i shall ransom them from the power of sheol i shall redeem them from death o death where are your plagues o sheol where is your sting but the, the, the fact is he will redeem them, but it's, it's not just an injection. It's not just a shot. <laughs> uh, the, the Lord is merciful, but he, why would he redeem anyone who continues to, as he says here, speak lies against him and continues to be uh, unfaithful? It would be like not just reconciling with a spouse who ended up being unfaithful. It would be like marrying a spouse who you know is going to be unfaithful which of course is exactly what God asked Hosea to do.
1: How do you see s- journey is called a walk.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and it's long and patient and it is uh getting to know each other it's a relationship and not something that is uh, is quick.
0: I, that's a good point. You know, I've heard the word journey and we talk about Christian walk and walking in the way, but yeah, I think the the walk is a good one I think. Nowadays, it's a walk uphill. <laughs> I think we have to realize that, you know, while while God's burden is easy, Jesus's is, is uh, certainly lightens our load. Um, it's still tough because the world's going to continue to put obstacles in front of us and we should be comforted knowing that God's with us. Um, here are the last verses of our chapter and the last verses that we'll be talking about today, verses 14, 15, and 16. He says, They do not cry to me from the heart, but they wail upon their beds. For grain and wine they gnash themselves, they rebel against me. Although I trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devise evil against me. They return, but not upward. They are like a treacherous bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword because of the insolence of their tongue. This shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. So um, they cry, uh, but it's it's you know they're they're crying for things that aren't aren't actually God. Uh, Seven fourteen, they it's it's a it's a interesting uh, reference because they say uh, they, they they do not cry to me from the heart, but they wail upon their beds. Uh, we also see that uh, this grain and wine, they gnash themselves. That gnashing really means cutting themselves. Uh, when I first read it, I always think of like gnashing teeth, like grinding teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I thought of grain and wine, I thought, oh, that must have some connection. But no, looking a little deeper, it's about cutting themselves. Do you know what that's about? It's about
1: false idols, uh, like Baal. Uh, they would be thinking that the fertility gods were going to give them rain and and uh, and food, uh, and so that you know they would cut themselves and. Uh, But false idols never give what they say they're going to give.
0: Yeah, it's this false worship, and and don't we—it's really the same thing we've been talking about, but that specific reference can go back um, to uh, 1 Kings when Elijah's mocking the gods, and and so they're saying, oh, Baal, answer us, and there's no voice, (laughs) and they limped around the altar, it says. And verse 27 of uh, 1 Kings 18 says, and at noon Elijah mocked them saying cry aloud for he is a god either he is musing or he is relieving himself or maybe he's on a journey i love that maybe he's in the bathroom and and verse 28 says and they cried aloud and cut themselves with their custom as after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them so the false practitioners whose god is nothing and Elijah mocks that are literally cutting themselves to evoke some reaction from their God, and here we have the people of the one true God gnashing themselves, as you said, just to get some grain and wine, and yet they rebel against him. Wow. Wow. And, and I think that's something that we have to consider. Do we? In what ways are we following after the false religions of this world rather than just returning to the Lord?
1: I always enjoyed this, the Minor Prophets. You know, I don't think we spend enough time with them because usually when I get to the Minor Prophets, you know, they're, they're short. They're short books and you can get them pretty quickly. And, you know, they're, you know, a lot of these guys are just very, very, you know, very colorful, very colorful in reading. Uh, but, you know, they, they so much apply to our world today. And, you know, where is the Hosea today? But God said, you know, you, you know, like I remember a rich man and, and Lazarus. You know, send, send Lazarus to one of my brothers. And, and you know, and the rich man is told, well, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Uh, they have everything they need. The world has everything we need. They will not believe even if somebody should rise from the dead. Uh, you know, we don't have, I don't think we have prophets Like Hosea sent to our world today, but we have God's word, which is we have Hosea speaking to our world also today, calling it to repentance and calling it to not trust in the physical things that we see around us, not trusting in power and riches and and the transient things, uh, but to trust in God.
0: Amen to that. And then it says finally. This shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. Um, It will be a couple chapters, but in Hosea 9 he'll say, They shall not remain in the land of Yahweh, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean food in Assyria. Is this yet another foretelling of how they will be returning to slavery? Or at least least, uh, captivity, I should
1: say. That's a disaster. <laughs> right. That's the worst thing that could happen them, Like hes They've they been thought. redeemed
0: from it, and yet they go back to it.
1: And they're right back. Like, a, whatever. whatever. Uh, they talked about dogs and, and pigs.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. A dog returns to its vomit, I think, is what it says. So. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, we've come to the end of our, our section. It really does keep going, and we're going to keep looking at that tomorrow. But, brother, in the last couple minutes, anything else you want to add about our text today?
1: I do enjoy Hosea. Yeah, he is a yeah. It would not be easy to be a prophet. It's not a particular blessing to be a prophet, because you think about what these prophets had to do. You know, Hosea, you know, has to marry this girl, and it's you know, kind of that would not not be easy. You think of some of the others who had to walk around naked for a period of time, or Mm -hmm. lay on one side for a period of a long period of time, and. Uh, so being a prophet is a difficult thing, and God would send prophets, and God would speak through the prophets, uh, but that would not be easy or comfortable, and it's not. Many times it's not easy or comfortable today to speak God's Word, which is still very much just as much countercultural today as it was uh, 2,000 years ago or three or 4,000 years ago
0: something for us to remember, because although, of course, he speaks to us today through his son, Jesus, in many ways, whenever we proclaim the word of God, we're all little prophets out there calling the world to repentance, and we shouldn't expect that we'll be treated any different than the prophets of old, or especially even our Lord Savior, whom they crucified. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Luke Brown, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Ellsworth, Kansas. Pastor, thanks so much for being on the show. I hope to have you on again. Thank you. Folks, join us tomorrow for the next chapter as God uses Hosea to proclaim his displeasure and indictments against Israel. Will there be restoration? Will God relent the disaster he has in store? Well, tune in and find out. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong